In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho, please. Oh, my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. I'm Millie Tamaran. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And we're here again because we're women. And Kim Kardashian told us to get our fucking asses up and work. Work, bitch. Get your ass to work. Get your ass to work. <laughs> get it to work. We are work. The woman, of course, who had every door open for her reiterated that business women should maintain a positive work environment without toxicity, to which many people formerly employed by the Kardashians responded with details about just how toxic that work environment is. I mean, this was like obnoxious enough on her own to like dare to say something like that. But then you find out that she has she's been sued for wage theft. Oh, no. (gasps) I mean, you can't be a billionaire without wage theft. I'll also say that I kind of I'm not going to be a Kim Kardashian apologist, Mm -hmm. but I do get of like the thing. I think the sentiment she was trying to say is that like people just want, which I do think is, is like something that I see a lot, especially in entertainment. People just want a shortcut or the easy way out or like not want to put in the time or the work or like the 10,000 hours quote unquote. And like, it's, like a lot of the shit that you get is by work, but she's not the person to deliver that message. True. I do also think too, the thing that has been really difficult for me is that like, I'm sure she does work hard. I'm sure she has a very difficult schedule. I'm sure it's not just all fun and games. Like I'm sure there's days like she does work hard and it's hard for me to see people like, belittle the the things that she does you know or like oh what does she do just run a fashion brand blah 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 um and it is exhausting to constantly steal from black women that is a difficult (laughs) job we're always on the cutting edge so like come on kim's tired but also she's not the person to deliver that message that's such a good point. I mean, immediately when I posted on sub and I knew this would happen and I try to catch them and delete them is that immediately somebody will say like, oh, says the woman who like made it to the top from lying on her back. And they have, they do work hard, but it, you know what? It's a lot easier to get off your ass and work hard when you have probably a nanny for each of your children. You have somebody that cleans your house that you apparently don't pay. <laughs> like it, it's a lot easier for her to put in that hustle when she has the the means to dedicate all of her time to that, of course. And that seemed to be a, not something she was addressing there. She seemed like really pissed. She seemed really like, I think that was what hit people. I think that was the thing about it, why people didn't receive it so charitably, even though she does work hard, is that she was like, she seemed to be lashing out at lazy people. And it's like, what? It's not even that. She was born rich. Like, like, you know, like no matter what she does, she was gonna be fine. If she had decided to be utterly lazy, like, no, she wouldn't be a billionaire, but she'd be still very rich. And to the degree that she does work hard, all of that is magnified by the mm-hmm. fact that she's already rich. She was born rich. Her parents are rich. Her mom, like, there's a whole thing. We all say that the devil works hard, but Chris Jenner works harder. Like, her yeah. mom is like 95% of the labor before she even started doing work. Like she's famous for being famous, which no lie, like that's a lot of work. It sounds like a, exhausting. Like imagine if you don't have like any actual like content, like what do you do? You just have to like constantly live inside this space. I think she even did reference that. She was like, people, you know, give a shit because like we don't sing, we don't dance. Although I think she has, didn't she release music or like we don't do this and that, but I think what she was saying is that she's like, it's harder to have to come up with shit to do all the time. Yeah, you have to literally wear tape as an outfit and walk around completely uncomfortable, looking like C-3PO from Star Wars. Uh, And Rihanna's not doing that. 
Rihanna's got her belly out. She's got to do so much more, in mm-hmm. fact, than people who have perhaps talents that are more obvious yeah. to the eye. <laughs> so I, I do congratulate her for that. But at the same time, right. like you were born rich, your family is rich, your mom did a ton of work, is a straight up stage mom. You have so many resources at your beck and call, aside from the fact that you like can afford all of the nannies and whatever, like that is work. Like that is work you are not doing. You are mm-hmm, not working mm-hmm. all yeah. of that labor. So perhaps more appreciation for like yeah. the fact that, yeah, yeah. This is, it's not just that she's like the wrong messenger. It's like, maybe that message should not have come out of her mouth at all. Like in my personal opinion, as a ri- person who was born rich, like li- it, li- live on some 7-Eleven burritos before you come th- for the rest of us. Okay. Yeah. I just, the one thing that's like, you know, show up, positive attitude, do what you love. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the problem is that when you're not rich, you you can't just always do what you love. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to kind of do what pays the rent. And like, it's also like people only have so much control over toxic work environments. But it's really funny that like a lot of people come out and say like, she owes me whatever like the two years I worked for her were the worst two years of my life so I was like I was an alcoholic I was like yeah I saw oh, that no. I was like Whoa. which I wouldn't I would not be surprised to have heard that at all the day before she said this so it's just sort of like girl don't I mean there's probably plenty of people who have had executive assistants who have or staff members who have similar stories but uh you know you just don't need to say things that invite them all to share them on Twitter Kim you don't have to you don't no, have we to we were all on her side just that's what that's what a lot of people on Twitter are saying was like we were all on her side just a few weeks ago. I know when Kanye was doing all that shit. We were all team Kim and now we're team no one. The funniest part of the clip, I think the underrated part of the clip is if you are aware of the Kardashian sort of like canon is that Courtney is like agreeing like, yes, everybody has to work hard. And she her most iconic quote is that she says working is just not my priority. At least at least Courtney is honest. It doesn't have to be for her. Work doesn't have to be her priority. We don't really have a choice. (laughs) Yeah, I think, too, what Courtney was saying in that moment, it's so crazy because on some ways it's like Courtney's kind of saying like the Kardashians should hire you to be their publicist. I know. (laughs) No, well, no. In some ways, it's like Kim is like about work. She's going to go to every event. She's going to bust her ass, all that stuff, because she wants to grind. And Courtney just doesn't have that. But then someone broke down Courtney's career, too. And it's like she's been on like 80 reality shows. She did all the spinoffs. She's like this bitch is tired as well. Exactly. So today we are going to uh, talk about a few other U.S. based news story. Sammy this morning did an incredible interview with Andrea Chalupa. She is a journalist and the host of Gaslit Nation, who has been the smartest person on Russia. And Ukraine for a very long time. And we're going to put that in your feed tomorrow. We don't want to wait on it. So uh, you're going to get all four episodes this week. Look out for that in your feed tomorrow. Sammy's interview with Andrea Chalupa. I, I, I was annoyed I couldn't sit in on it. I can't wait to listen to it. I accidentally uh, just went in their interview room and it sounded great. So definitely listen to that next week. But we're going to start here with some, uh, some surprising news, I think, for our podcast. And that's that some of the people that have been elected to govern actually appear to be governing. Some better than others. (laughs) The state of New York has, so the state of New York, we're going to start with us. Of course, we're going to be the center of attention for today. I think, I think we can handle it. New York legalized cannabis a little while ago. I think time flies. It could have been nearly a year ago. And officials have been in the process of formalizing the industry and getting licenses sorted out. New York announced yesterday that it will follow in the footsteps of some other states by offering cannabis dispensary licenses first to people who have been disproportionately impacted by criminalization. What does that mean? Practically, it means that officials intend to reserve the first 100 or more retail licenses to sell marijuana for people who have been convicted of related offenses, or they have a family member who is convicted on cannabis offenses. Governor Kathy Hochul announced the policy today. The intention seems to be to position people who have wrongly been impacted by this plant being illegal to now make money off of what will be a huge industry. And part of this involves in New York, at least allowing these business owners earlier access to the plant itself so that they'll basically get a head start. For the past like three or four years now, other states have pursued social equity programs that are similar and that are very well-intentioned, and they've sort of had to uh, work out some kinks. A lot of the issues has been sort of like... When people have, when there's so much wealth, it sort of is like it's very hard to sort of fight against. So other states have prioritized these uh, these individuals, but haven't necessarily invested as much in them. So they found that these these people weren't necessarily to get 
able to get outside funding to help them create the businesses that they were prioritized for because, you know, the mostly white people with all of the money to invest are investing in their friends and people that look like them. So the New York law is actually also involves 200 million in the budget, hopefully to be spent on finding locations for them, securing them, renovating the storefronts. Oh, that's great. I mean, I feel like 200,000 sounds like a lot, but a New York City storefront is quite expensive. And I don't know about you guys, but I've already started to see some sort of like CBD type dispensaries prop up that are very, very glittery. And I just, I know what they're angling for. I know that they're they're setting up to try to be the first people ready and they look very uh, well-funded to do so. So so this is exciting. There's a lot of ways that in practice, this might not work out, but it looks like the people involved are pretty committed to redressing some of the harm here. Something that I've heard or, you know, my friend who is a cannabis activist said that a lot of the things that caused uh, hurdles for it to be legalized is because Black politicians in particular were not down to legalize it or like, they did not organize because they they wanted something like this to happen before it got legalized. Oh, okay, cool. And a big hurdle was Andrew Cuomo. Um, you know, so the fact that he's not here and like it's happening quickly, like has shown that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's not just about the licensing, but it's also like the capital to purchase inventory and all of that. So I do, th- I do. I do like that it's not just we're going to do this like, what is it, like performative thing for people of color, you know, mostly people of color because people of color tend to be over policed by marijuana. Um, But then all these like white uh, weed bros are going to be the ones capitalizing it, but they're really putting their money in their mouth is. And I think giving them a head start, I think it could be really great. I think Something also that people were talking about, which would be really cool, is giving licenses to existing bodega owners. Um, Love it. They're already kind of selling weed anyway. (laughs) (laughs) If you're cool. You know, I heard that from a non-New Yorker. I couldn't believe I didn't know that. A non-New Yorker was like, yeah, we just went to this place that's had, you know, the fake version. We're like, come on. And they're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they they're doing it now. Well, because right now, right now, what is the rule? that you can you it's like you won't get you can arrested have it, for it yeah but yeah it's like yeah. we're in this you weird period sell it but you you can't sell it or buy it but you can have it mm-hmm. so like so like people are doing this thing where they're like here's an 18 dollar bottle of water and a joint yeah you know <laughs> like yeah. it's like you're selling something else and here's free weed yeah and it's like all right yeah um, but also uh, the only reason that bodega owners will not be able to do it because I actually sat and read through the marijuana law when it was being proposed. Um, <laughs> I love reading legislation. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you're not allowed to sell alcohol and um, okay. marijuana in the same space. So if you can get your 40 there, unfortunately, you cannot buy weed there. Mm-hmm. Um so I actually noticed that this was a plant like there was when uh, my boyfriend lived over in Woodhaven, there was this like bodega at the corner and they they started they opened like two, three years ago, a smoke shop mm. that's like around the corner from the bodega. Mm-hmm. So they have a set because they were like prepping for the marijuana to become mm-hmm. legal kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, that's smart. That's like, smart. Just have like another we can't sell them at the same time. But look at this storefront that's mysteriously right right next door. And it's some of those storefronts are like I feel like they've picked up the same storefronts that like the like locksmiths get that, that are so small. Yeah. But that's where you're going to be able to get you get your weed. There's going to be so oh many God, lines. There's like so much smoking paraphernalia. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, who needs a hookah that's like an AK-47 shape? That was one that I, I thought. I think crazy. I'm like, how is there this many people? I mean, I know there's so many people in the city. This many people that need a six foot bong. Yeah, well. <laughs> Um, and uh, you know, that makes so much sense because I'm always in a bodega and when they don't sell beer, I'm like, what the fucking, what's the point of this bodega if I can't get a beer? And it's like, well, 
Hopefully now next year that you can get an themselves. That's the thing. Like some are like, okay, fine. We'll get rid of this as an alternative. So there you go. People, people have been preparing themselves for a second once they knew that because it was because it, once Colorado did it, once California did it, it was very obvious that New York was going to follow. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about one of the biggest markets in the United States, like New York was very obviously gonna get there. And the question was like, were they gonna get, get there first? Mm. I'm really excited about the fact that they prioritize not just uh, previous offenders, uh, pe- people who've been previously convicted, but also um, uh, nonprofits dedicated to um, yeah, drug policies and like opening up and legalization. So, you know, if you are, a an individual who is looking but they you're trying to figure things out like yes it will be good for you but they're also going to be whole organizations that have been thinking about this for a sec yeah we're going to have a first crack at it and i think that's going to help significantly because at least they've been like doing the work you know mm-hmm. yeah that's and with there are so other, right. some other states have modeled some things that were well-intentioned and just did not work out so this is really exciting I'm excited. And I feel like Kathy Hochul is excited about it too, which makes me all that sweet, sweet weed revenue. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift, because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. So let's stay in New York for a minute, but we're going to travel from Albany to New York City proper now. This absolutely bonkers news cycle, I feel like it's sort of clouded COVID news lately, even though we're at a very unusual point in the pandemic. And by unusual, I mean, I guess good, but maybe not as good as some politicians want uh, their voters to believe. This week, Hawaii became the final state to lift its indoor mask mandate, which was like a real moment. They've they've really held on to mitigation measures to protect their people for, for a long time. And on Monday, New York City stopped requiring restaurants and gyms to check vaccination status. Individual owners can of businesses can still require it as they see fit. You still have to wear them in taxis and subways and uh, Broadway shows right now. Millie, are people wearing them at your shows? Not, um, I'm not... I'm not on Broadway, but (laughs) (laughs) um, they're not. I mean, people can wear it if they want, but I do find that um, the Broadway audience is also a little older, so they're more inclined to wear, you know. Yeah, Broadway audiences don't necessarily want to hear me talk about my nipples (laughs) for 10 minutes. So, (laughs) yeah, no one's wearing I would love for you to put that to music for 10 minutes, please. Five (laughs) Five for each nipple. So in New York City, 77% of eligible people are vaccinated and 87% of adults are. But of course, we have three big ass airports and we have visitors from all over the country and the world. Some public health experts say this felt premature, that things feel safe now. But how many times have we done this? You never know what's lurking. We can feel ready to go. And then things you know, whether mitigation measures are relieved too early or are just relieved and then suddenly we get a surprise, it still sort of feels early uh, for this. And it seems like politicians, even the CDC seems to take this approach where they'd rather take breaks from mask wearing when rates seem lower and then bring them back as needed. So now we're in a situation where you don't have to show a vaccine card to go into a restaurant. Like I said, business owners, individual business owners, they can require it, but I've already read about a downtown restaurant, I think it was Dame, that is asking for vaccine proof to dine indoors. And five men basically like occupied the restaurant, refused to leave. So they had to call police. And then uh, I guess they're near Carbone and Carbone's security guard was like, all right, let me help you out. <laughs> let me get these guys out of here. And uh, 
other owners of restaurants have told the New York Times they just feel like Eric Adams, our mayor, ending the vaccine requirement is a signal that they don't, that he doesn't have their back. Uh, they feel worried about their, they feel worried about their staff. They feel worried about being able to keep staff from getting sick so that they can work so that they don't have shortages. Does this feel like the the right time? Why did Eric Adams do this? I mean, we've also heard him tell us, you know, get out of your pajamas and go back to the office. So there seems to be something motivating this other than every the city of nine million. We can all just act as if nothing ever happened because the science says that's true. I mean, we're a city of significantly fewer people now because a bunch of people have died. True. The thing is, somehow just kind of like gets run over. Oh, well, let's just like go back. Like, are you serious? Did- like I, I was reading um, this piece in the Atlantic by Ed Young, who's their top science correspondent, and you know he was talking. Like, the, the piece basically is like it's too soon to act like everything is over. Sixty thousand, sixty-three thousand people died last month. Like that is an insane. That's not normal. <laughs> like that's, that's that's insane. That's not back to normal. We've never had a normal like that. So. <laughs> I, I just feel like maybe people are like, and, and they also pointed out that the, like the rate of infections and deaths are actually higher than they were during the low last summer, like before yeah. the Delta variant came through. And I'm over here being like, I just feel like we should probably continue wearing masks. Like I can't stop thinking about how um, like post SARS, like way back in like 2003, 2004, 2005, uh, you you would see like widespread mask wearing in China, in Hong Kong, in Japan, in Korea, because there was an airborne disease that threatened like society. And they were like, hmm, maybe we should just like make this kind of a norm. Also, flu uh, has gone down like has basically possibly eradicated strains of the flu because we were wearing wow. masks. I just I just feel like this is. I mean, of course, Eric Adams is going to be that guy. Like he yeah. is that like he's like capital T, capital G, that guy. And we knew he would be. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just my point is like Eric Adams is a cop and his cop unvaccinated cop friends were like, hey, can we finally go to an Applebee's now? And he's like, I got you, dog. And he banned the vaccine cards. Noted Nobody's- New York City establishment, Applebee's. Yeah, exactly. Listen, I walked by Applebee's the other day. That shit was packed. But I, I'm just, yeah, I'm going to say that, like, Eric Adams has this thing of getting back to normal as soon as possible. And it's just like, there's no, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, I always say this, like, that is the problem with, or not the problem, but like the criticism of centrists and moderates is like there's no imagination of what could be a possibly better or different future. And it's like, yeah, you know, m- things are not going to be back to like, like, let's not go back to the original. Let's try to, you know, fix and, and, and create this new reality that we have where it's like it is hybrid, you know, or, it you know, whatever. But I still do think that people will be mer- wearing masks on the subway even if they don't you know i will now because it is weird yeah like there's no ventilation in the subway cars and just to be like breathing people's air it's like yeah that is crazy to do so so that's something personally that i will uh keep it i know a lot of people will keep but yeah, yeah i think it's just this thing of you know kind of donald trump even way of thinking of if we say nothing's wrong if we go back to normal as soon as possible like it will be as if nothing happened. And it's just like, that's yeah. denying the reality of so many people. I go back and forth with this. Cause I mean, I, I mean, I don't agree that the, it seems premature for all of this for sure. But you know, whenever they, we have these phases where they're like, okay, you don't, it's not really totally necessary to wear your mask indoors for a while. I always feel like I, I'm not willing to abandon it because of course we live in a, a dead city and there are no compromised people. But then there's also part of me because I, I hate wearing a mask. I hate it. I hate it. So there's also part of me that I'm like, and I'll say I hate it. It's really not that bad. It's not that much of an imposition, but I don't like it. I wear glasses. I can't wait until we don't have to. So I sort of like go between, okay, Amanda, this is a time when they're saying you don't need it. So just enjoy that because, so maybe you'll feel better about when I'm trying to weigh my own feelings of resentment towards the pandemic. So I'm sort of like, when we get these chances to take it off for a minute in grocery stores or whatever, I always feel like I should, because then at least I get a 
because I know it's going to come back. So I'm like, Amanda, just, just enjoy it while you can. But then I'm like, well, why do they ever, why do they operate this way? Shouldn't they just make us keep it on? So it doesn't feel like they're taking something away when, uh, when the variants surge again. So, I mean, I guess I, I don't really know if I agree with their approach as a person that they're trying to kind of like manipulate into feeling safe. I go back and forth. Yeah. That's the only thing that like makes me frustrated. I actually feel like I'm less frustrated at like removing mask mandates than the sense that like, there's this put like the push behind it is really about recreating the society of 2019, like the intervening three years have not happened. Mm -hmm. And that like after two years of organizing ourselves to like even trying to, they just don't even want to try anymore. And it's like, there's no like future thought happening here. There's no like, well, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to rebuild public trust? Like, there's a political movement dedicated to undermining these public health efforts. Like, should we think about that before we remove these things? Because getting them back in is going to get that much harder. And it's like, there's just no thinking about that, like at all. And I'm looking at like the BA2 subvariant for Omicron. We're just going to continue coming up with like new. Is that the one that's like, that's like doubling in New York? I think that's it's, the one that's like doubling in New York right now. One of them is slowly. It's like the I I read like another thread from like an epidemiologist who was like adding these little like animations of like how air moves out of people's mouths, and I just like by that by myself it was like okay, I'm wearing a mask yeah. forever, forever. And you see like the animation of like someone cough like a single cough, and it's like all over your face. Yeah, like, oh, yeah exactly. Oh. Yeah, no, I just I totally agree with you, Amanda. Like. Wearing masks are not is not fun. It's not like a huge major, uh, you know, thing or hurdle. But I'm also like, you know, it's not great. But I, I, I did, you know, I do feel more comfortable not wearing a mask when I know they've checked everyone's vaccines and I know mm-hmm. okay everyone's Good vaccinated, point. and when they're not, um, so so a lot like one of my workout studios is like oh we're still gonna check vaccinations and you still you know maybe you don't have to wear a mask but we're still so like it's just that is a little bit more disappointing to me than like the indoor mask mandates because i'm like oh if they're checking vaccine cards like there's always going to be a risk but the risk is reduced so dramatically when everyone's vaccinated and if they're not checking that anymore then like what's kind of going on yeah i just can't imagine being in a the idea of going out this weekend to a crowded place when they haven't checked vaccines, I have, I mean, I never want to do that. I never want to do that in or outside of pandemic, but let's say I, let's say I had a good reason to go out. I would feel panicked the whole time. Panicked. Yeah. The vaccine mandate is like overwhelmingly the thing that like, I'm less upset about indoor masks. Cause of course I've been like dining, et cetera, but like the, the lack of vaccine, are you serious? And like the thing about it is that the boosters are significantly lower than the top line vaccine rate. So if we're talking about like right. people who have gotten one shot, like that's the 80%. People have gotten two shots, it starts to slip, drop a little bit. People have gotten three shots is crazy low. Like I don't think we're at 50% in New York. I don't think even half of like even I'm I'm not sure a third of New Yorkers have gotten. That's true because they shot. never I'm I'm now just th- fucking remembering that they never changed the definition of fully vaccinated, right? Like they should have done that by now. That that should have happened. I just don't want another variant, you guys. Yeah. Like I just, I'm just over here being like, you know what would make this end faster? Stopping it dead. Like do you know what I really don't want to do is I do I do not want to go to a bar where the unvaxxed bros haven't been allowed to be for a year. I don't want to know what they are like unleashed this weekend. I do not want to know. Be careful. Be careful out there. People. Yeah. Well, I'll just say that. I mean, not unvaxxed bros, but just. Bars in general, people have been fucking acting up. I've told you about like when I go to bars and then I call them children, but they're like people who turned 21 during the pandemic and don't know basic (laughs) bar etiquette. And I do feel like very, this is like the second time I'm referencing Gilded Age, but I'm like, (laughs) who are these people who don't know to come? But I'm like, they come in, they have like a bad attitude, treat the bartending staff like shit, make their, and it's just like, yo, where have you been? It's like, oh, they've never been to a bar before. Yes, we have this whole generation. This whole generation was like just now getting to know. Have you not been ignored by a 
male bartender who's a four tops while you wave your credit card <laughs> at him for 10 minutes. If you yeah. have not gone through that, that builds character, builds character. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. We also have some big updates from U.S. Congress. They've managed to do two things we've spent the last years, even centuries, uh, wondering why they had not yet. After more than 200 attempts for over a century, Congress, finally, it looks like they're going to pass the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. This would make lynching a federal hate crime. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky was a co-sponsor of this. He's the one that's always like getting in fights with, um, with Fauci. Neighbors. I think he's an eye doctor. Oh, and yeah, his like his neighbor. Yeah, and his neighbor. When his Always neighbor punched him in the face. <laughs> Maybe that's why he was so worried about this legislation because he keeps like getting antagonizing people. Safe, yeah. yeah. So Senator Rand Paul, he was a co-sponsor this time, which is very notable because he's been the single senator who's been holding this up uh, from passing by unanimous consent. He previously has kept saying that this is overly broad and will leave too many people subject to federal hate crimes. Therefore, in his words, he said it would inadvertently create new victims. So this version that they finally agreed upon specifies that, quote, death or serious bodily injury has to result from the offense, which is confusing to me because I feel like that's what lynching is. That's always been what it is, death or serious bodily injury. I I, I guess he was if concerned that there could be uh, situations in here where people were being accused of lynching, even though they just, you know, happened to brutally attack a person who was Black. Well, called his hearings a high tech lynching. So maybe this, he was, was he trying to protect Democratic lawmakers? Maybe. No. But you know, <laughs> Amanda, you know, maybe Rand Paul and him and his friends, him and his white friends, like to just see a little black kid and then, you know, and just, just beat the shit out of him, but he doesn't die. And that shouldn't be counted as lynching. That's, not under in not Rand Paul's America. Exaggerating. <laughs> That's the question I have to ask is, what counts as serious bodily exactly, injury? Exactly, exactly. Like, where, do, where does it, oh, you only broke one rib. So it turns out you ain't lynched. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Rough. It's we so... actually chained up this black dude and we beat him on the back like he was a slave, but it didn't have yeah. like, like, um, it, it feels wrong. Yeah. It's terrible. It's just also like, you know, now he's going to have his name on the legislation, which is probably the only way that we're getting this passed at all is if he co-sponsored it, yeah. right? But then it's just like, and then it's like this circular thing of like, oh, Democrats don't do anything. Republic. Then every time we try to do something, Republicans will stop it and then go back. And then like, they have to do it. We have to compromise with them. And then they can say like, oh, this only happened because of us. Even though they're like, stopping and creating hurdles every step of the way it's just it's really frustrating yeah, yeah it's brutal. i mean i i think we should just uh be there's a certain amount of like happiness though that we finally after so many years like i'm thinking about how many people started arguing for anti-lynching bills all the way back to ida wells barnett you know, like we have some incredible, incredible people on this legacy. I hope that a lot of political 
leaders and activists who have been working really hard on this over the decades um, who are still alive to see this get to be at that signing and that Rand Paul is not there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Congress also reached a deal to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, which it had failed to do for three years. Congress was still funding the provisions in the act that uh, let these things go forward, but they had not reauthorized it, which is insane. The deal came after a controversial provision was dropped from the legislation that dealt with whether unmarried partners could keep guns if they were found guilty of violence against a dating partner. Yesterday, when we were talking about this in our text thread, I was like, they passed VAWA. I guess we got to figure out why they did that. And Caitlin was like, this is this is why they got rid of the boyfriend loophole. This is bad. The NRA has been lobbying them to not close the so-called boyfriend loophole. Basically, this sound this is what it sounds like. Um, if somebody beats you, but you happen to not be married to them, then they can still get a gun. Asked why the provision was dropped, Joni Ernst, who's a Republican senator who has been open with her about her experience with domestic abuse and sexual assault, said that it's in there because otherwise the bill doesn't get done and they just want this done. The current law bans a spouse convicted of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence from purchasing or possessing a firearm. Other things that VAWA does is it authorizes funding for grants towards supporting domestic violence and sexual assault victims. It investigates and prosecutes those who commit violent crimes against women. And there's also a pretty important immigration element to it. If you uh, again, usually marry somebody, I think it has to be marry somebody who is an American and your status relies on them and they are being violent towards you. It uh, provides, re- it basically provides paths to citizenship for you. Uh, but I guess that's only if you married them. The boyfriend loophole is still open, which is very disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it's especially disappointing. I mean, it's very exciting. Let's start yeah. with the good news. Good news. It's very exciting. Wow. It's reauthorized. Yeah. It should have been reauthorized three years ago, but you know, we take wins where we get them. We do. We take the wins where we get them. Take the W. Downside. Domestic abuse is almost entirely, is extremely highly correlated with mass shootings. When you see a mass shooting happen, you can almost inevitably trace that there was domestic violence in their background. The NRA wanting to keep that loophole open is about creating more opportunities for people to shoot other people and possibly many other people one person shooting many other people mm-hmm. it's a problem and I, I feel like the fact that we don't that's not a theme that we come up with in our politics anytime there's a horrific shooting you know and domestic violence happens to be like a huge portion of mass shootings um you know the fact that we don't have those discussions is like wild to me that connection is never made like oh domestic violence is extremely predictive of the, the the damage that can be done broader once they get used to violence, it expands outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just not good. It's also the most dangerous, uh, you know, enforcement for police. That's what killed the two officers was a domestic violence dispute. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why do they hate cops? Why do you hate cops? And why do you hate cops? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it- and it's just so that the NRA can sell like the largest swaths of guns again, which I'm like, isn't the NRA like, how are we, how are they not bankrupt yet with all the, like, you know, there's a lot of investigation on how they're using their funds, but it's also like the, it's so true that domestic violence needs to be something that's talked about more. That's, it's just something that as society has progressed, we still haven't had really deep, significant conversations about not just about these extreme sense and acts of violence, but all the more nuanced sense. Like as we talk about rape culture, we can also talk about like the the more nuanced, smaller ways that we tolerate violence against women. And then, yeah, like when we start to acknowledge that we can start making those connections with these bigger mass shootings. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite episodes of the you're wrong about podcast is the series they did on the DC sniper. And basically what they uncovered in those four, those four part episode, um, which included a lot of the biography of the woman whose husband was like orchestrating Mm -hmm. the murders uh, basically, it was like uh, an, uh, it all goes back to domestic violence. Yeah. She had warned FBI and police about them. They did not take it seriously because if the FBI and police took took it seriously, like every single claim of domestic violence, like they would be so that's busy sad. and they would also honestly be investigating themselves. I feel like that's why they kept the boyfriend loophole because they're just sort of like, well, we can't take a gun from every boyfriend who beats somebody. But it's like if you beat a woman, I don't like 
you shouldn't be allowed to have a gun. I don't, then you don't get to hunt. Sorry. But that's 40% so- of cops. Mm. <laughs> 40% of cops hate cops. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like 40% of. So that would impact, cops- not what I assume that would impact law enforcement. Like if you are a cop Absolutely. and you're married and you beat your wife and you are charged, then you can't be in possession of a firearm. So I guess you, and lose you your can't job do too. your job. Hopefully. And if Hopefully we're funding that- police and recruiting, like recruiting people who want to be enforcers, that is going to significantly reduce the amount of people in our police force. Finally, today, we're going to spend a few minutes discussing a New York Times op-ed that prompted quite a few opinions this week. The essay is titled, I came to college eager to debate. I found self-censorship instead. Where do you find self-censorship? I feel like you decide. Anyway, it was written by a senior at the University of Virginia named Emma Camp. She describes an environment where she feels she and her peers are constantly whispering about ideas that may be deemed offensive in class. And this is limiting their intellectual curiosity and personal growth. Let me read you a paragraph to give you a sense of the atmosphere that she's describing. A friend lowers her voice to lament the ostracizing of a student who said something well-meaning but mildly offensive during a student club's diversity training. Another friend shuts his bedroom door when I mention a lecture defending Thomas Jefferson from contemporary criticism. His roommate might hear us, he explains. She also references how people feel like they have to, as I said, quote, self-censor and worry if they don't do it, it could impact their grades even. She interviews others, including a professor who says they feel students are conforming to the popular progressive narrative and are too scared to voice their real opinions. She also talked to students who identify as Republicans who say they conceal that from their classmates because they're just worried about the reaction. That is the, this is actually a pretty short essay. That's the extent of the specific examples she gives before urging college administrators. She has a vague ask. I couldn't quite figure out what she wanted, but she urges college administrators to revoke policies that she thinks silences her and her peers and just be less scared of the the woke forces driving them. So a couple questions here. Is this the right use of the term censorship? She she uses it a lot, self-censor, and she seems unconvinced that anybody for any reason should censor what they say. Bitch, please. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, before we even get to like this whole fake, you know, cancel culture shit, just in general. And I want to, I'm going to ask, answer your question with a question, with a question. Because I believe that self-censorship is an important part of socialization. Everyone has to self-censor. You are not going to have any friends if you say any everything that you want to say. How many times, ladies on this podcast, people listening at home, has your friend dated someone who was fucking terrible, who's a piece of shit and sucks? But what do you do? What do you call it when they ask you a question? But, you know, if you tell them the truth, they're not going to talk to you anymore. Is that not self-censorship? Censorship? What, what should Shake have done on Love is Blind? Self-censor. Self-censor. That's exactly it. You can't be saying everything that comes to your mind. Now, is there, you know what? exactly because that's the thing right it's not that they want to say whatever it's like she wants to say whatever she wants and have no consequences and we constantly talk about this all the time i was thinking of you yes i was thinking of you as i was watching the love is blind reunion because like that's what shake was doing he he like keeps just talking because he refuses to not be validated for his terrible opinions say whatever you want in college you're paying for it say whatever you want but then you can't expect everybody to be your best friend also it's four years of your life what do you care if a couple people are like whispering about you live with it maybe that's uh, and it's it's uva It's UVA. University in of Charlottesville. Virginia, Charlottesville, where the fucking blood and soil chants were happening just a few years they didn't earlier. <laughs> yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody I died. Say, y'all both the neo Nazis. Don't come up here being like, I feel so burdened. <laughs> like, there's a death. A woman was killed. A woman by, was by killed. By the people who you want as I- ideological travelers, and you want no one to say anything about that. By the way, learning politeness, which is what. <laughs> We are talking about here, learning politeness, learning context, learning that there are times when your opinion is not necessary. Mm -hmm. These are things that are just part of becoming an adult. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Like you turn like, that's the point. Like everyone knows that as a teenager, you're going to say and do stupid things because you have zero impulse control, whatever. That's life. And then you learn over time. Actually, maybe I don't need to say this. Actually, maybe this opinion is not useful right now. Actually, 
maybe I don't know enough to say this thing because I don't have enough context. It happens. You learn. And then eventually you become a podcast host and you're allowed to say whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have people in your DM saying, hey, what you said was wrong. <laughs> contrary yeah, contrary to some listeners believe we do self-censor quite a bit on this podcast. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, like, that's the point. The point is, is that like, that's, that's the process. Like what you are at school for in all seriousness is to become an adult. You know, that is the process from 18 to 22 from, you know, you go to school and if you're an older student, if you're a student who is non-traditional, you are going there for a very specific reason, which is to challenge your mind and to find a particular frame of knowledge that you did not have before and to get a credential that reflects the kind of work that you did. If you are a young person at college, you are there to become the adult that you'd like to be. You have not figured out who that is yet which is why y'all change in majors every time. But that's that's how it goes. You're supposed to be this way. And yes, you're supposed to learn that yes, some opinions come with consequences, really serious ones, because the people who have to live with these consequences are not you. You yes, are exactly. able to have this opinion without having to live with the consequences of that opinion. So the only consequence you can get is people giving you blowback in the moment. Like let's, I just want to bring up Arthurine uh, Lucy, who was the first black student to integrate University of Alabama. Okay, she recently passed away at 92 years old and did not actually graduate from the University of Alabama till 1988 because she was barred from campus, okay, and uh, expelled because she defamed the university by like trying to be there. Also, there's apparently a giant lynch mob to bring our whole space together that almost tried to kill her while she was trying to get to class. This is the history. Like, if you want to talk about consequences for existing, people have lived with that. Cat State is a real thing. You are not facing any kind of persecution, girl. No one's coming for you. And I think that a very important... It's so funny because it's always Republicans and people who have conservative views that are like let's keep politics out of this like we don't always have to talk about politics but they're the first ones to go straight into a politics talk because i do think that you can connect with people outside of politics it's really hard for me and i struggle with that but i think it's possible Mm -hmm. but they're the ones that are always reverting back to it and it's just like you have to learn and i think that this is again I always bring this up as white people become less and less the majority every year, every generation, there becomes less and less white people. They get a little bit less power every time. And now they're dealing with things. And it's like code switching is something that people of color, black people have to do all the time. You talk one way, you have certain conversations around one group of people, and then you have other conversations around another. And to me, this thinks of someone who's like, you know, doesn't know about code switching. And it's like, yeah, if you want to say how great Thomas Jefferson is, go close the door. Close close the door. I'm sorry you had to close the door. You're upset you had Exactly. But it's like, that is the reality. That is what a lot of people of color have to do. Exactly. uh, Mostly black people. Yeah. Have to do like, if we want to talk about our hair, if we want to talk about this, we want to talk about a Karen or whatever, we have to code switch. We have to, you know, in a certain space where we feel safe and all of that, I'm sure queer people have to do this all the time. They can't, they can't go to work and talk about like, if someone said, what did you do this weekend? And someone said, I went to an orgy and this and that, not that all (laughs) queer people do that but i'm just saying like people have that is a part of life and a part of being an adult is knowing where the spaces are and i guess it's not just self-censorship of keeping your own opinions to yourself but it's also like learning how to navigate different spaces to become a palatable human being (laughs) for people and it's like that is something that many people have had to do and as time passes you know like for a long time when people of color had didn't have access to platforms and all of that. We have to like listen to someone say some Thomas Jefferson shit. And now it's like, no, you know what? Close the door because actually I pay money to go to school too. I'm going to be in debt way longer actually than you are 
Miss Miss Thang. Yeah. So I don't want to hear. You know, if I'm going to school, I don't want to hear this. So close the door. <gasps> I'm oppressed. Yeah. <laughs> no, honey. No, you're not. Totally. Yeah, it's the lack of like conservatives are obsessed with becoming. It's it's very Darvo. It's very reverse victim and a an offender where they really want to feel like they are under pressure because they are actually the status quo. They are the reactionaries. They are the people who are trying to reinforce these structures that actually suppress people. And, but they, they want that to seem like, Oh no, like I'm a victim. If I'm not allowed to say that Thomas Jefferson was great. Like, hello, you are at UVA. UVA. Everyone loves Hamilton. Like Thomas Jefferson's fine. You don't need to stand up. It's no. you know, close the, the door. Close the door. Like, right. We do not need to do this. He's the, got the, uh, so many memorials. He's got an actual national monument. Ain't nobody coming to take that down anytime soon. Why do you need to say this? Like, yes. who is coming? Wait, where does this come? And this, like, this need to feel like a victim. This need to feel oppressed. And as I pointed out, there are lots of actual people who are oppressed all the time mm-hmm. for existing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the Black and Jewish students at UVA felt a lot more threatened by the the neo Nazis marching with torches. Mm-hmm. You know, than you do like having yes. to like not say your terrible ass opinion and not get it validated. That's and I, not mean, like, I think that too. As we're seeing, like, you know, this thing, it's not just that conservatives can't say and do whatever they want. It's like that, you know, people have started to make their own spaces. And it's like, you know what? We actually really don't even need you here anymore. Yeah. If you're going to have those views and stuff, we're actually not going to fuck with you. Or like, we're going to do those our are own not thing mainstream over here. views anymore. Right. Those are right. not mainstream views anymore. And it's like, so they want to have their fringe views. They don't want it to be fringe. They want everyone to think like that. And then when we don't want to engage with them, we're wrong. When we don't want to like, it's just like, it's, it's and you shit. know what's the the worst person or the worst offender is the New York Times for giving this young woman a platform for this. Yes, when bizarre. there are serious serious issues going on in this country, and every fucking six months, it's always about how an, a conservative person is oppressed. That you know, and it's just like. What are we doing here? Yeah, as much as we're reacting in the way we are, there are plenty of people where they read that and they're like affirmed and they're like, oh yeah, thank God. That's what I thought too. All of my terrible opinions are are really just fine. But we'll wrap up there. Thank you guys again. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow with Sammy's interview with Andrea Chalupa. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.